into Psalm 36. Psalm 36. The Bible says, The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart, that there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes, until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He sitteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. Thy most mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reaches unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like a great mountain. Thy judgments are a great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life, in thy light shall we see light. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. There are the workers of iniquity fallen. They are cast down, and shall not be able to rise. I just titled it simply, Our Faithful God, Our Faithful God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege you have to open your precious word. Thank you for the privilege we have to sing praises unto thy name. And thank you, Father, for our, our, the faithfulness um, that we can rely upon, that you change not. And we just thank you for it. We pray you help us, encourage us tonight, look in your word, and consider some of these things. And may you be glorified, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, three, well, I guess I have four things here, but three, um, fourth and just kind of brief, but three main things from this psalm tonight as we think about the faithfulness of our God. First thing we see is the fallible reasoning of man. The fallible reasoning, or you might say flawed reasoning. Um, in verses 1 through 4, he said, first, of course, verse 1 says, The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. So really what he's saying is, my heart tells me that those that transgress against God do it because they don't fear God. Of course, the Bible bears that out. Um, Romans 3.18 says, gives a whole list of the things that there's none that doeth good, no, not one. You know, their mouth is full of cursing, and then it says there is no fear of God before their eyes. You know, the man that transgresses or that rebels against God tells me that he doesn't fear God. Uh, he has no reverence, no respect for God. Cain did not fear God. He thought more of himself than he thought of God. That's why he did his own thing. And when we do our own thing, we think more of ourselves. That's why we do it. Uh, you know, he, he, he probably considered God like many to today, that God was unjust, unfair, and partial. 
And a lot of people think that. There's a uh, guy by the name of Clive, or Clive, I guess he's pronounced it Clive, I'm not sure if it's Clive, Barker, who said this, quote, I think that, that God that we have created and allowed to shape our culture through, essentially Christian theology is a pretty villainous creature. I think that one of the things that the male patriarchal figure has done is allowed under its, his church, his wing, all kinds of corruptions and villainies to grow fat and fester. In the name of that God, terrible wars have been waged. In the name of that God, terrible sexism has been allowed to spread. There are children being born all across this world don't have enough food to eat because that God, at least his church, tells the mothers and fathers they must procreate at all costs. And, to rent, and think that God is uh, all costs to prevent procreation. So anyway, uh, he said, now I don't believe that God exists. I think that God is, is creation of men by men and for men. What has happened over the many centuries now, the better part of 2000, in fact, is that God has been slowly and steadily accruing power. His church has been accruing power. And the men who run that church, and they are all men, are not about to give it up. If they give it up, they give up luxury. They give up comfort. Unquote. Of course, you know, if you're talking about the Catholic Church, I agree, but that's not God's church. Uh, <clears throat> so God is a villainous creature, is what he said. Of course, Dan Barker, who was a Methodist pastor who's become an atheist now and uh, has written a book and the title of the book is this God the most unpleasant character in all fiction and the caption about the book says this quote what words come to mind when we think of God merciful just compassionate in fact the Bible lays out God's primary qualities clearly Jealous, petty, unforgiving, bloodthirsty, vindictive, and worse. Originally conceived as a joint presentation between influential thinker and best-selling author Richard Dawkins and former evangelical preacher Dan Barker, this unique book provides an investigation of what may be the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Of course, Richard Dawkins is the guy who's the head of the atheist group who... You know, they're so popular that they wanted to have a conference in Australia, but they had to cancel it for lack of interest. Um, But that's what some people think about God. Well, you know, there is no fear of God. And they, they think God's unfair, partial, and he's vindictive. Um. and they transgress at him because they have no fear of him or they think he doesn't exist. You know, Judges 17, 6, you know, there's a lot of verses in the Bible that speak about this. It says, in those days there's no king in Israel, but every man did that which is right in his own eyes. See, the problem is man does what's right in his own eyes. Um, if you notice in verse 2, it says, he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. Uh, Judges 21-25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man was, did that which was right in his own eyes. Uh, Psalm 36, or, or Proverbs 12-15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkened unto the counsel is wise. Proverbs 16-2, All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Proverbs 21-2, Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord... Pondereth 
his heart. And the Bible says here that he flatters himself with his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful, verse 2. You know, he flatters, he convinces himself, or he reasons in his own mind that this is okay. This, this has to be right. I mean, and it may be, they may say, well, it's, it's got to be right because we're prospering. Sometimes that's what they say. They're like a sluggard. Remember the Proverbs talks about the sluggard, sluggard who always renders a reason. In other words, he always has a reason why he can't work. It's too cold, or it's too hot, or it's too you know this or too that. Let's look at examples. Go to Judges chapter 17. Judges chapter 17. In Judges 17. You have the man Micah. And Micah stole some silver from his mother. And then he restored the silver. And his mother said that he had, she had dedicated it to the Lord to make a graven image, and a molten image. And so they took the stolen silver and gave it back to his mother. And, of course, there were no reparations made. But anyway, they took the silver and made, it, made a an image out of it, and so he set up these images in his house and became his own priest. And then furthermore, a Levite came by that way and saw that he had these gods and an ephod, and so he joins up with him, and, and he gave the Levite a suit of apparel. And, and if you notice in verse 12 of Judges 17, it says, And Micah consecrated the Levite, and young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Then said Micah, now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. So he's reasoning, he's reasoning that this is right. After all, I have a Levite to my priest. There's only one problem. This was not the tabernacle. This was not the place that God appointed to worship or to sacrifice. It was idol worship. Of course, it didn't end well with him either. Another example was in 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Of course, we know Saul was told by Samuel to go utterly destroy the Malachites. Uh, slay both man, woman, infant, suckling, ox, and sheep, camel, and ass. So destroy everything. Saul goes and he fights against the Amalekites. He destroys the people, keeps the king, and the sheep, and the oxen. And in uh, verse 20, it says, And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, well, I have done what the Lord, I've obeyed the Lord and done what he said, and I brought Agag. Okay, why did he bring Agag? Why isn't he dead? And, of course, Samuel had said, what's the bleeding of the sheep that I hear? Well, you know, the people... 
they want to sacrifice the Lord in Gilgal out of these. So you take what's, what's you take as your loot in battle and offer it as a sacrifice. Is that a sacrifice? No, it's not. It's not a sacrifice. That wasn't what God told him to do. Now, a lot of people might say, well, he did, he did, he pretty much did everything God said. Yeah, he sort of pretty much did everything God said. But he didn't do what God said. That's the point here. He didn't do what God said. And notice what Samuel said to him. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. So his reasoning, his reasoning was not justifiable in the sight of God. And so, you know, sometimes we make judgment or base our judgments upon things that are not right. Uh, you know, sometimes we base judgments on, fe- on our feelings. You know, is that reliable? Sometimes we judge things based on the experiences of others. I remember preacher friend of mine in Pennsylvania he worked with another preacher an older man it's kind of under him for a lot of years that ruined him anyway he used to say he'd always say well David did this and, and, and what it was was he was justifying how he could it was he, he said it was always like he was trying to work a deal with God or justify his scheme yeah Saul did this you know well, Saul didn't get away with it. And David didn't get away with it. You know, we, we can't justify any of our deeds on the basis of others' experiences. You know, Micah could have said, well, you know, considering the times in which we're living, I mean, after all, we're living in the days of judges, and everybody does that, which is right. Everybody's doing it. Everybody was doing it. So, Lord, what's the big deal if I do it too? Saul, so, you know, he goes, well, I did, I did three-fourths of it. Actually, probably more than that. Abraham could have said, well, you know, I did tell the truth, but, well, at least some of it. See, that's the vain reasoning that the wicked flatter themselves with. But what results is their iniquity until, notice the interesting statement here, until his iniquity be found to be hateful. You know, this, this disobeying the Lord in destroying the Amalekites cost Saul the kingdom. And the fruit of that was a hatred for the guy God chose to be the next king. It led to hatred. You know, Joseph's brothers and their conduct, you know, Joseph brought unto their father their evil report. 
So their wickedness then turned to hatred against Joseph. And of course, Israel's wickedness in the book of Judges turned to hatred when they treated a wayfaring man. How they treated a wayfaring man in Judges chapter 18, 19, 20. You know, some of the most graphic, disgusting descriptions in the Bible of men's conduct against human beings. You take your bind up and tutter up in 12 pieces and send a piece to every tribe. Of course, and they had so badly abused this woman that, that you know, you know, and I can't quite even fathom this, that you could tell by one of those 12 pieces that she was badly abused. I mean, they just didn't molest her. They beat her. She was abused all over her body. That's where their sin led to. That kind of hatred for a fellow man. See, our iniquity can lead to hatred. Of course, hatred, it starts with hatred of God. Um, verse 3 says, The words of their mouth, of his mouth, are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. You know, when, we, when, when a person uh, turns away from God, he turns to darkness. He lacks wisdom. They would devise mischief. Verse 4 says, and setteth himself in a way that is not good. You know, is not good. In fact, Timothy tells us in 2 Timothy that, that you know, uh, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be meek and all men apt to teach. You know, instructing those that oppose themselves. They oppose themselves. So when it says in he's a way is not good, it, they're opposing themselves. You know, Saul was really opposing himself by rebelling against God. Because, again, think about what Samuel said. Now thy kingdom shall not continue if he obeyed. What's the inference there? That it would have continued. So really his sin was opposing himself. You know, anytime we sin against the Lord, we are really opposing ourselves. We're harming ourselves. Then you'll notice the second thing. Notice the faithfulness of our God, verses 5 through 9. Notice several things here. First of all, uh, his mercy. In verse 5 it says, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the cloud. You know, the, the heavens, somebody said the heavens smile on everyone all the time. You know, God is ever merciful. Uh yeah, for people say, "Well, God never did anything for me." Well, think about it. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, He expelled them from the garden and set a seraphim with a flaming sword to prevent them from eating of the tree of life, lest they eat of it and live forever in their sin. Do you ever think about the fact you could have been left to live forever in your sin? If God in his mercy 
wouldn't have set that seraphim there with a flaming sword to prevent them from going back into the garden and eating of the tree of life. They lived forever in their sinful condition. Give the hope. You know, where would you be without God? If it wouldn't be for the Lord, where would you be? We're talking about his mercy. Lamentations 3.21. You know, uh, uh, Jeremiah, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Jeremiah said, it is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Yes, they were... They were beaten and taken into captivity because of their rebellion against God. But God didn't completely destroy them. As he could have. They weren't consumed because of his promises that he made to them. You know, the fact that sinners get another day of life equals another opportunity to repent. An old fellow in Maine just lived up the road from the church. His name was Russell Noyes. He used to say, I don't know why I'm still here. I think he was probably, I know he's in his 80s, probably 83 or so when we moved away from there. But he'd say, I don't know why I'm still here. I'd say, Russell, I do. Because you're not ready to meet the Lord. But I said, if you leave this life, there's no more opportunity for you. There's no more opportunity. Yeah, and God was merciful to that man. He got saved. Several years after we left, he got saved. And we went we went back. I think it was, I'm not sure if it was a graduation from one of the girls soon after we had, a year or so later. And I went to see him pastor told me that he had gotten saved so I went to see him and he he straight out told me that he'd gotten saved that he'd asked the Lord to save him you know you see the fact that God gave him another day of life was another opportunity to repent God's mercy is in the heavens it smiles on everyone his faithfulness is all encompassing Notice verse 5. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth under the clouds. It's like a cloud. You know, in, in, so think about a cloud. In Exodus 13, 22, the Bible says, He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. See, God never did take away the, 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 the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night. It was a reminder that God is always faithful. He will never fail. He won't fail us. Men do. He never failed Israel. You know, their hardships and their stresses were a result of them not believing him. He promised to provide for them and to take them into the land. You know, their complaining was a lack of seeing him who is invisible. Hebrews 11, 27 tells us that Moses endured seeing him who's invisible. 
You know, he, in other words, Moses went through all those trials and those troubles and those stresses with the people of God, and, and he endured it all because he saw God. He looked at God. He didn't look at his circumstances. He believed what God said. And God said, I will be with you. That means God will be there to provide a way. When, when God takes his cloud and moves it, he's saying, you move with me. And when you move with me, as long as you're moving with me, I'm your protector. I'm your provider. First Thessalonians 5.24 says, Faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. You see, Israel forgot who the doer was. Second Timothy 2.13 says, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. You see, for if God doesn't keep his promises, he's denying himself. He's denying himself. Spurgeon said this, quote, Far, far above all comprehension is the truth and faithfulness of God. He never fails, nor forgets, nor falters, nor forfeits, forfeits his word. Afflictions are like clouds, but the divine truthfulness is all around them. While we are under the cloud, we are in the region of God's faithfulness. When we mount above it, we shall not need such as an assurance. To every word of threat or promise, prophecy or covenant, the Lord has exactly adhered. For he is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Unquote. Yet God will keep his word. We can count on His faithfulness reacheth unto the class. Thirdly, his righteousness is firm. It is unmovable. In verse 6 it says, Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are great deep, O Lord. Thou preservest men and beasts. Righteousness is like the great mountains. You know, the most violent storms do not shake the mountain. When the storm passes, there it is, just like it was before. You may not see it during the storm, but when the storm is gone, the mountain is still there. The mountain is still there. God's, God's righteousness will never be affected by circumstances. In other words, God's righteousness is never going to change because of circumstances. He's always just. He can't be bribed. He can't be bartered with. <laughs> he can't be threatened. You're going to threaten God? He can't be persuaded to pervert justice even for his own? You know, he, won't, he, won't, he won't pervert justice even for his own. Not even for his beloved son. Now think about that. You know, justice required, the righteousness of God and his justice required a holy sacrifice, an eternal sacrifice. In order to give, give sinners and retain his righteousness, God had to pay the sin debt. He would not pervert his righteousness, his righteous standard. You know, Job said this. I had it here. Where is it? Um, oh, well, 
2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who know no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See, God wouldn't pervert his righteousness to forgive sinners, even if it costs him his son. See, circumstances do not change the righteousness of God. You know, you and I in life, when we are pressured, we're tempted to change standards. That's, what, that's what's happening today in our world. We're changing the standards because of circumstances. You know, like the lady told Mr. Green, oh, we're not living in the 90s. No, we're not living in the 90s. I realize that. But God's standards haven't changed. God's righteousness haven't changed. Uh, His judgments are great deep. Verse 6 there again says, you know, Job 14.4 says this. Who can bring a clean thing out of unclean? Not one. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? All right, who can take make a sinner clean who's come out of unclean? And he said, "There isn't anybody who can do it." So how? And you know, the the question we might say is, put this way: How can a sinner be clean, pure in God's sight? That's what Job's asking, or one of his friends, whichever one it was. Who can make one clean? Well, if you look in Romans chapter 3, we have the answer. Romans 3, verse 24. Romans 3.24 says, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to de- declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So, God is both just in requiring the death of his son and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. Your justice required a holy sacrifice, an eternal sacrifice, and so uh, the only way for a sinner to be made clean in the sight of God is to have God intercede and make him clean, which required the blood of of his son. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable is judgment and his ways passing, past finding out. How can we be, you know, and, they, and, and let's take it a little further. How can we be clean as Christians? I mean, if we're talking about clean or pure in the sight of God, that means you're with, that you have to be without sin. So how can we be clean? And again, 1 John 1, 9 says, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and, what's that next word? Just. 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. So he's just in forgiving our sins on the basis of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, uh, verse 7 there says, uh, But the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So he is just, or his justice requires him to cleanse us or forgive us from our sins. See, his judgments are, are great, deep. Knowing that, he is the preserver of life. Verse 6 says, Thy righteousness is like a great mountain. Thy judgments are great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. Of course, Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, and by him all things consist. 1 Peter 1.5 says that we are kept by the power of God of God through faith unto salvation. You know, Jonah 2.6 says, Jonah said, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. You know, he's saying, Lord, you pre- you're the preserver of my life. You preserved my life. My, 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 my life was, was uh, uh, with the you know, the bars of hell were about me, but you brought me my life up from corruption. You know, God is the preserver of life. You know, God gives his people a quality of life. A quality of life. And I'm not talking about just about um, uh, having peace but a, a, a quality of living. You know, it was said about the Waldensians that you know, they were hardworking people. They, they took care of themselves. Um, they were very moral. They were, they were um, um, you know, kind, considerate, you know, good neighbors. You know, any, anything you would say about good people, they were. Why were they that way? Because of their love for the Lord. Their relationship with the Lord. He is the preserver of life. God gives life. You know, when a person uh, you know, really seeks the Lord, God gives them a quality of life. He is also our satisfaction. Notice in verse 8. And many other things we can say here. Verse 7, how excellent is thy loving kindness. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, O God, therefore the children of men shall put their trust in the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the rivers of thy pleasure. He is their satisfaction. You know, Israel Israel would never perish uh, from not having their needs met or not being protected in the wilderness. That was his promise to them. So what was all the fuss about? Why the insurrection against Moses? It's because they were not satisfied with God's way or method. You know, they had, quote, better ideas. Yeah, God did test them. But he had already told them. He had a cloud there, a cloud that they could see. 
by day and by night. Now, God doesn't give us clouds. He has given us his word. We have a written record, which I think is better than a cloud. We have a written record. And everything they had need of, they had it. Now, they didn't, there was times they didn't think they had. That's why they murmured and complained, because they didn't think they had it, that it was going to be there. They didn't think it was going to be there. But again, what they didn't see was God. You know, when we get, and I say we, we get in a tizzy because we don't see it. But we need to trust him. He has promised Flower needs. And then I want you to the third thing. He is the fountain of life. Verses 9 and 10 says, For with thee is the fountain of life, and thy light shall we see light. When we think about the fountain of life, we're talking about, when we talk about a fountain, you're talking about a source. He is the source of all life. In Genesis 1 1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. In Genesis 2 7 says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils a breath of life, and man became a living soul. You know, Job 12.10, he says, In whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? It's in the hand of God. He is the source of all life, the origin of all life. So with him is the fountain of life. And in thy light, verse 9 again, shall we see light. He gives us light. Now, when we're talking about giving us light, we're talking about understanding or wisdom. I'm sure you've heard that phrase, you know, you, you can't think something through and all of a sudden the light turns on. You know, you just, ah, now I, you know. And it's, and it's God that gives us light. Psalm 119, verse 105, thy word is a lamp under my feet and a light under my path. Psalm 119.130, the entrance of thy words giveth life. It giveth understanding unto the simple. The simple is refers to somebody that's ignorant or doesn't know. Proverbs has much to say about this in Proverbs chapter 1 and verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to receive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment and equity, to give subtly to the simple, there's that simpleman, to the young man knowledge and discretion, a wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels, to understand the proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction." My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. You see, the word of God, you know, where did Solomon get his understanding? Well, he had a good homeschool mom. No, he didn't. I mean, she, she taught him a lot of things. She taught him to beware of women. And beware of wine. We know that from the book of Proverbs. Some of the things his mother taught him. 
But no, he got his wisdom from God. He got his understanding from God. Because God asked him, what, will you, what, will, what would you ask for? I'll give it to you. He said, I want wisdom and understanding. You know, we have to go after it. We have to seek it. And it's in the Lord. John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. In other words, he is the origin, again, the source of life, and he is the light of men. John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You know, what happens when we reject the life, the light? Well, Romans 12, or Romans 1, tells us that they... Yeah, glorified him not as God, became vain imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They were darkened. John 3.19 says, Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. What they didn't want to do, what did they want to do right? You know, education does not give you light. And this is not a sermon against education. It doesn't, education it will, alone will not give you light or understanding unless it's God-directed. You know, it can be a wonderful tool, but there are very, very many well-educated people who don't understand life. I mean, educated people up with things like the new green deal I mean this isn't anything new I mean clear back in the late 90's the government spent $300,000 doing research on how to come up with the burpless cow because when cows burp they give off gas and that's destroying the ozone layer and, you know, of course, that's encouraging climate change. Talk about dumb. D-U-M dumb. I mean, these are educated people. And they lack simple understanding about life. Why? Because of their rejection of God. See, understanding, understanding about life comes from God comes from God. See, educated people say, oh, oh, oh you, you don't ever touch your children. You don't ever, you don't ever uh, punish them or correct them, give them you know, corporal punishment or, or you know, spank, spanking. I mean, you'll, you'll injure their psychic. You know, my dad went to eighth grade. And my dad didn't do everything right, but he had enough sense to know that ADD is just a kid that doesn't have enough to do. And that little rebellious streak could be taken care of in the woodshed. And that's not rocket science. That's really simple, basic ABCs of life. But yet educated people can't figure that out. And they raise these psychos. That's what they raise. 
<clears throat> now, education doesn't, you know, God is the source. He is a source of light. Thirdly, his loving kindness toward us is perpetual. If you notice again in verse 10, it says, of course, verse uh, uh, 7 also, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men shall put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. Verse 10, O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Uh, the word continue means to prolong or to draw out. And, and God is. His loving kindness toward us is perpetual. In Psalm 40 and verse 5, <clears throat> the Bible says, Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. In Titus chapter t- uh, 3, Titus chapter 3, in verses 4 through 7, Titus 3, 4 through 7, the Bible says, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by washing and regeneration, renewing the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly, that is, his, his, his kindness and love. He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's God's loving kindness is toward us is perpetual. It'll never change. Just like his faithfulness. Because he is faithful. It'll never change. And he says, in thy righteousness, again, we talked about his righteousness, is firm, it's immovable, his righteousness to the upright in heart. You know, God, God will do right to everyone. But we see then the failure of the wicked, verse 5, verse 12, I'm sorry. There are the workers of iniquity fallen. They are cast down and shall not be able to rise you know it takes us back to the transgression of the wicked in verse 1 that saith in my heart there's no fear of God this attitude of no fear of God is rebelling against God and they are they will be cast down you can't fight against God and win You know, Madeline Mary O'Hare spent all her life trying that. Some of you probably didn't want you to know who Madeline, what's her name, Madeline Mary? Mary O'Hare. She was the lady who sued to have Bible reading and prayer taken out of school. Because her son was caused to read the Bible or something. And she fought against, she was an atheist, she fought against that. Her son wrote a book, My Life Without God. You know what he, you know what he became? Her son. He became an evangelist. And he wrote a book, My Life Without God. He said she would go out in the middle of a thunderstorm with lightning flashes and shake her fist at the heavens 
And it's God, if you are real, strike me dead. She had another son, too. I don't know how many other children she had. When she lived this life like this all her life, but somehow she disappeared. Nobody really knows what happened to her. But I can tell you this. She lost the fight. Her end wasn't good. Consider the end of Micah. Micah lost his Levite. He lost his house, or his gods, and he lost his gold and silver. It's all taken from him. If it was right, why didn't God protect him? That's what he thought. Saul lost the kingdom. But consider Job's end. see, we have a God that is faithful. We can depend upon him. Somebody said this, and, the, and it says it's unknown. It says, quote, In Christ we have a love that can never be fathomed, a life that can never die, a righteousness that can never be tarnished, a peace that can never be understood, a rest that can never be disturbed, a joy that can be never diminished, be diminished a hope that can never be disappointed, a glory that can never be clouded, a light that can never be darkened, a happiness that can never be interrupted, a strength that can never be weakened, a purity that can never be defiled, a beauty that can never be marred, a wisdom that can never be baffled, and resources that can never be exhausted. Unquote. You see, we have a righteousness that can never be tarnished because Christ's righteousness is ours. When we put our trust in him. His peace is ours. He is our peace. The Bible says. And that light. That we have. Cannot be taken away. You know. Thank God. We have a faithful God. Who will judge, who is always righteous. He is always faithful. He is ever merciful. Even to those that don't know him, he is merciful. But how much more so to us? To him be praise and glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word tonight. Thank you for the encouragement that we find in your word. Thank you, Father, that you are unchanging. You fail not. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can trust, rest, depend upon you. Father, forgive us where we fail to do that. Help us, Father. Give us faith. Give us that trust that we need just to rest in you. And we'll be careful to thank you and praise you. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.